welcome everyone to Sectastic. My name is Milat and I got with me Matt. Hey Matt. Hi, how are you doing? Doing good, and you? Very good. Looking forward awesome. to the interview. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much for taking uh, the time to have this virtual chat. Uh, let's dive right in. Matt, you've been around in the cybersecurity industry for quite some time. Curious uh, about your career development. How did you get where you are today? Uh, well, can, you, can you be a bit more specific? <laughs> How did I start? Or like, <laughs> uh, where do you start? Like, uh, I guess after you finished your, uh, the school, like what was your first way to get into this space? Uh, what motivated you to get into the cybersecurity space? And from there, what were the, the building blocks to uh, reach where you are? Uh, so I got in security when I was like in middle school and high school. Uh, so it's when I started to do like reverse engineering. Uh, I, I was part of a cracking group. So that's okay. kind of where I got all the uh, reversing like uh, engineering skills. And then I kind of got more interested into uh, uh, vulnerability research, like and then uh, forensic research, uh, especially around like Windows kernel stuff, because a lot of things were undocumented. So it was a lot of fun to uh, uh, look into it and to uh, document the undocumented. And uh, yeah, that's kind of all I ended up uh, focusing more and more on uh, software engineering and uh, Windows kernel development. Okay, so you started uh, like at school, you were already reverse engineering stuff to figure uh, out how things work under the hood. Correct. And yeah. that's got you into this space. Okay, and then uh, after school, you, you're like an expert already on uh, reverse engineering and you're like looking around the job market, what is out there, and then you jumped into the space. Uh, yeah, drop out of high school, then uh, I got a job uh, after speaking at an Europol conference about like the Windows abolition file. So then I got my uh, first job as a researcher for the Dutch Ministry of Justice when I was like, I guess, like 19. Uh, so that's where, where I started. Okay, that's fascinating. So you dropped off and then you end up uh, working uh, over there. Uh, and I think this is something uh, I've been always uh, saying people, uh, Johnny, uh, folks asking me, what do I need to study to get into the cybersecurity industry? And I always yeah. say, it depends, right? Because not everybody has to study to get into this industry, which makes this, I think, yeah. one of the unique industries out there. Okay, and uh, from there, uh, you took it from there uh, and progress in your career uh, naturally. How long have you been now uh, overall in this industry? Uh, a, a bit more than 15 years. 15 years. Okay. Uh, yeah. And if you think about these 15 years uh, from your career perspective, were there any moment that stood out where you made, uh, where you thought, okay, this is the moment where I felt uh, most proud of that I am in this industry? Uh, <laughs> probably when I left the industry to do like something else and. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> at some point, I was just tired of security, and uh, I worked with a friend of mine, uh, Matt, on uh, like a startup that was doing application virtualization. So I took a break from security for like a few years, and then uh, I, I came back into uh, security. Uh, but during that break, you know, we ended up writing a product, you know, which is uh, still commercialized for 
uh, and part of the, the VMware product line called the app volume. So that was pretty cool, you know, like to build a product uh, to mm -hmm. have people using it. Uh, so, uh, yeah. And since then, you know, like the funny part is that coming back in security, things are kind of more or less the same, you know, over the past, like, I don't know, like five years, six years, you know, so uh, there's a lot of things changing. And at the same time, there's a lot of things that are like still the same uh, compared to like 10 years ago. Um, okay. Yeah. So uh, interesting that you like moved out of security and then you came back. What was the reason for you to come back after you were already bored uh, in this space, you went to explore something new and then you made the decision to come back into this uh, space? Yeah, good question. It's because it's fun, you know, in general, like uh, every time it's just uh, doing headlines, you know, you have like uh, problems, you know, left and right. Actually, I had that chat with a friend of mine who's a journalist once. Uh, he has been covering like security for more than 20 years now. And uh, but in general, like he's like a tech reporter at large, so he can cover like anything he wants. But he's always being uh, brought back into like security because every time there's something happening, you know, like it's uh, uh, newsworthy. Mm -hmm. Okay. And for, uh, if you would get the question uh, that I experienced uh, a few days ago, like how do you get into <laughs> the cybersecurity industry? Uh, what would be your typical response when someone is asking you yeah. that? Uh, well, I guess it depends on the profile asking. So I do a lot of mentoring uh, with the project, with the Upcode uh, project, which started as a conference. Uh, now I'm helping a bunch of like communities in different countries, uh, like to grow and uh, also to to develop, you know, for like their own like workshops. You know, for instance, now there is Shiax uh, in Kenya doing a lot of uh, workshops. So I've been helping them a lot uh, over the past years uh, to find like trainers and to like. Uh, get funding, etc. Uh, the number one uh, advice I give to everyone is to try to get a good background in software engineering, because if you know to write code and if you understand how products are working, which you know probably comes from like uh, my reverse engineering background, uh, it's very easy to do something in security because you can have a mindset with like if there's something you need to understand, you can write something quickly. Like writing a script is not a problem. Well, it's like the problem we see a lot in security is like even even writing a script is a bit painful for a lot of uh, people, uh, and it should not. And now, like the technology stacks are becoming like so complicated, and then like, you can see it with like uh, cloud, mobile, web slash system slash firmware slash you know like virtualizing your environments, etc. Uh, that you need to understand how a computer is working. You know, like uh, there's a lot of security people who don't really understand how like those things are working. Uh, so software engineering is like a, a main skill, you know, because it's easy to pivot in and out also. Yeah, absolutely. I can definitely relate to that. Uh, when I used to focus a lot on Windows, I would always uh, give the recommendations, like there's this book, right, for on Windows internals. I'm like, memorize it. Right, so <laughs> yeah. you know what what's happening under the hood, right, and that helps you big time to understand uh, the technologies that are out there uh, afterwards. Uh, you mentioned uh, your work about uh, some of these communities like uh, she hacks and so on. Um, I, I'm assuming this is next to your day life. Like, what made you uh, decide to be so invested in building and helping uh, these different communities? Uh... 
good question. So, I mean, it kind of started like when I started like Upcard Conference uh, here because like the community, uh, uh, as you know, is, uh, is still growing uh, in the region. Uh, five years ago, it was even like smaller. So I thought it would be a good excuse to bring like uh, some talent from outside the region to have a conference here. Uh, same thing also the conference in France like 10 years ago. Or bringing where we were like bringing uh, speakers from outside from the US, etc. Uh, so that's something I always like to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And then you know, like I got in touch with some of the other communities where there is a huge talent pool uh, in some of the like neighbor countries like Kenya or Nigeria because they're like countries with like massive population, a lot of local talent, yeah. and. Uh, yeah, like uh, one thing uh, led to another and like people are like extremely motivated, you know, they really want to leverage uh, technology and innovation to uh, increase their quality of life and, you know, like uh, to kind of like uh, break barriers about like, you know, living in a non-US, non-European country. Uh, so I think it's pretty cool and they're all motivated. So like I'm really enjoying uh, helping uh, uh, people like that. That's great. Uh, I actually uh, had the opportunity uh, to go to Kenya uh, once uh, as part of Microsoft had this uh, or has this center called Microsoft for Africa. Uh, And I went to Kenya, to Nairobi to train, uh, I think like around 30 to 40 people. And uh, in that one week, I was really so surprised uh, positively how hungry these people are for knowledge, right? Uh, I remember like, uh, the classroom was like always on time, full. <laughs> uh, and when it was uh, about to end, they didn't want to go. Like they, they just like, oh, let's yeah, keep no, going, no. let's keep going. Uh, show me the, how this works, how this works, and so on. So it's definitely uh, something uh, of interest, and there's a huge potential definitely in there. Okay. Yeah, no, Which year was this? Uh, that was in 2000, I believe, 14, if I'm not mistaken. Okay. 2014. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Um, you mentioned some of these uh, conferences like Opco and so on uh, that, uh, that you created. You uh, are, are also helping for content reviews at some of uh, large conferences. Uh, if we think about public speaking in, uh, in our context, uh, definitely with COVID and the pandemic and the lockdowns, things change dramatically, obviously. Probably if, if we didn't have that, we would be now uh, sitting together and doing this uh, interview also together. But there have been uh, naturally a shift, right, between this conference and moving uh, from physical to the virtual world. How do you uh, experience that as a speaker? Uh, has it changed the way you deliver your presentations? Uh, how do you think about capturing the feedback from the audience when they're literally not in the same room how does it change for you Mm. Uh, well it's a completely different experience you know like uh, if you like stop streaming you're gonna have a live chat etc then you have like larger communities being created like on discord uh, around like conferences Uh, and also it's much easier to bring speakers because otherwise if you have to organize a conference especially if you're a small conference, you know, like it requires a significant budget just to like fly speakers, like book the hotel. Also on their side, you know, it's a time commitment because if you're speaking at the conference, you're burning like effectively like three, four days of your week just to like come speak for like an hour. 
uh, it's kind of cool when you're like a first time speaker, but I know for like a lot of speakers, uh, even attending to, uh, to conferences for like some people, it's just too expensive because you effectively like write off like few days of your week. Whereas like now you can just like jumping on a call, uh, deliver like uh, your presentation or like watch some videos like later on, you know, because uh, of streaming, you know, like uh, content is available online pretty much immediately after instead of having to wait like three to six months you know for like the videos to be like edited and uh, uploaded or given to you on a cd you know like uh, what used to happen with black hat and defcon uh, in the past yeah okay so a lot of pros on going virtual <laughs> anything you miss uh, from physical conferences life uh i mean a lot of people are missing stuff personally like the the traveling is just like it's too much you know so i'm liking the virtual format uh much better you know like obviously like you don't see the people uh, you don't interact uh, on the same uh, level you know especially if you want to do like uh you know like business meeting and stuff you know because usually like conferences just where you line up mm -hmm. like 20 uh, meetings a day you know like so you not do that virtually um but yeah, just a completely different format and way to deliver. Yeah, gotcha. Okay, fair enough. Okay, so let's switch gear and looking into the more uh, the ins and outs of what's happening right now. All right, so I'm not going to bore you with this usual question of what is your predictions of the threat landscape in the next five years. But uh, let's talk about maybe two concrete uh, instances uh, that have been happening. I would love to have your perspective uh, on it. Uh, let's start with uh, SolariGate. Uh, how did your experiences, uh, what is your view uh, on what happened there uh, on a technical level, as well as uh, if you have a view about the, how it was reported uh, by the affected uh, organizations and so on? Yeah. Uh, well, I don't have all the information on the incident, uh, but there's like two things I noted. Is like, first, you know, you have like, uh, the uh, EDR companies uh, like speaking up as usual, saying, "Oh, we have like the like the the, the snake oil solution that's gonna solve all your problems. Like just like get the, the product, or we're gonna deploy it, blah blah." And then uh, most recently, like the executive of uh, Solar Winds uh, blaming an intern for like the uh, Solar Wind uh, one two three password. Uh, you know, uh, it, it just shows like even like months uh, later, like the, um, after the incident, you know, like uh, security still like misunderstood, and you know, like uh, people don't really give uh, much of uh, uh, a damn, you know, about uh, you know, like when it comes to risk assessment, etc. So they're just gonna look for a scapegoat uh, to blame, and you know, for like uh, whatever solution they can point to to say like, hey, look, we have done something. So. In, in that sense, you know, it's like very uh, disappointing, you know, like uh, good for the companies that are managing to make money out of it um, to yeah. sell like, uh, you know, like that narrative. But, you know, as a, an expert, like nothing new, another like story, uh, which is like that. Uh, same thing with the Microsoft, like exchange, like issue, you know, like uh, just like uh, releasing a bunch of like IOCs, you know, for like web shells. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, a bunch of companies been affected, you know, and uh, you know, by like next week, everyone is gonna have uh, forgotten about it, and that's pretty much it. <laughs> it's like, yeah, <laughs> until like the next incident happened in two weeks, you know, saying like a government or like a hospital has been compromised again, and what are we doing? And then people are gonna start to argue, like, oh, we should stop selling to China or whatever. It's like, 
always the same like narrative that are like coming like in and out and yeah so just yeah. Like, political motives and like uh, business motive uh, as you as usual yeah absolutely something uh, i can relate to because uh, for me i was always saying okay so this week it's solar gate next week it is the exchange from the uh, before that we had uh, other things uh, wanna cry uh, not petia whatever uh, it's like every month you have one or two things uh, like this and then it's almost like the media picks it up and everybody starts talking about it uh, but you could pretty much look at some of these articles and just replace uh, Solari Gate with another name uh, of an instance. It's pretty much the same. Yeah. Uh, there is an actor, they were successful, and now everybody is panicking. Uh, and then, yeah. like you said, the vendors will come in and say, we have the magic solution uh, uh, for it. Right? Yeah, and those are like the stories you know, that are being uh, covered publicly. Uh, a lot of incidents are still like, uh, usually not even discovered. Yep. And like really like sophisticated attackers, you know, like uh, they don't go like detected, you know, like uh, even like for like so, uh, which incident was that? Was was it so, uh, Solar Gate when Microsoft said, oh, they have a team of like ten thousand engineers? Uh, I mean, like well, like we are just like uh, you know, like ants in uh, that game, you know, where like companies are making a like ridiculous amount of money and just like trying the random numbers, you know, to make uh, yeah. some of the shoulders happy, you know, it's like, uh, <laughs> so at this point, like the story of who is getting hacked or whatever, like doesn't really matter anymore. Yeah, absolutely. So maybe uh, it's a foundational question though, like how do we, uh, what do you think is the reason why history is keep repeating itself so rapidly? Is it just because uh, organizations don't uh, see the value in their security department? Is it because of budget constraint? Like what is the underlying reason why these bigger things keep happening? And from my perspective, are keep happening faster and faster, at least uh, in the public eye? Uh, I think it's just like the rate at which we can detect those incidents is better. Like uh, we just improve in the detection. So we see more of, uh, of those too. So I think in one aspect, you know, we're better at detecting. So a lot of those things that would not, uh, never be covered before uh, are covered now. Mm -hmm. And uh, secondly, there is like a bigger and bigger incentive for like attackers to just uh, go after like targets since everything is uh, digital. Gotcha. Okay. Um, shifting into more into our region, uh, looking into uh, maybe from a Gulf uh, angle, right? The Gulf countries. Uh, are there any unique challenges you would see uh, within the Gulf region when it comes to the technology, uh, processes, uh, or people readiness that stood out compared to, I don't know, United States, uh, European countries, and so on? Uh, in terms of challenges? Yeah. For, for, for like security people or for like companies? Uh, I think for, let's start with the, the company angle. Uh, I mean, I guess like from the company angle, like uh, you, you probably have seen it uh, more than me when you were at uh, Microsoft since you had like the chance to interact with uh, definitely more customers than I did uh, in my time here since I have a very limited experience mm -hmm. uh, with customers here. Uh, but yeah, the, the maturity of the, the, the market and the companies is completely different. Uh, we, we don't have any customers in the region, so like uh, mm -hmm. I cannot really uh, uh, 
uh, uh, speak up, you know, for like uh, like the into more details, you know. But uh, yeah, I guess that would be the the, the main difference. Uh, yeah, I, uh, definitely interesting uh, point you brought up there was the, the the maturity level, right? The cybersecurity maturity level of an organization. Um, what I've been seeing is. Uh, many organizations, you know, they still think in this check, I call it the checklist mentality, you know, uh, I have an AV uh, check, uh, I have an intrusion detection system check, I have a firewall check, uh, and then the assumption is if I have these three things or four or five things like that, uh, I am secure, right? Uh, while I've been, uh, because I grew up in Germany, what I've been seeing there is like more uh, lately, the adoption of this whole assume breach uh, mentality uh, or mindset, right? Uh, where they acknowledge uh, it's not just anymore the network perimeter uh, we, we need to think about, right? It's much more than that. It's about uh, the device, the person, uh, and wherever they are, essentially. Okay. Um, what about uh, the people? You mentioned also, you know, you, you helped growing up uh, the, the regional community here. If you look into the, the, the skill sets uh, that are out here, uh, how did you see uh, if you have uh, see it change over the last three uh, to four years since you've been involved in building up this community? Are people getting more technical? Are they more or less on the same uh, maturity level? Or do you see uh, growth uh, in the people and their own careers? Uh, I mean, like, yeah, things have definitely been changing a lot over the past five years, even in terms of startups. We see like more startups than like five years ago. There's more VCs also investing in like some companies. So most of them are like consumer, like uh, startups, you know, there's not much around like enterprise software. Uh, but there is definitely a big change. And uh, yeah, as we're just moving to cloud in general, you know, like people are kind of more or less like forced to like uh, catch up with the, the rest of the world. Mm -hmm. And then community-wise, uh, there's a lot of stuff happening. You know, there's great uh, community leaders like uh, Rami uh, Shah, you know, who has been doing a lot of work. Uh, so overall, like, uh, the, the ecosystem is definitely uh, evolving and uh, maturing uh, over the past, like, years, which is uh, pretty cool. And there's also, like, more companies uh, coming into the region from the U.S. Uh, so... Uh, yeah so and i'm sure like i forgot who was mentioning uh like the number of like security companies in uh just in dubai it was pretty high uh i forgot the number but i was like really surprised because like i didn't even know uh i, I would not be able uh, to name like uh more, more than a few you know but I think <laughs> there's like a lot of them yeah absolutely there are quite a few uh here in the region okay Matt, thank you so much uh, for taking the time uh, to have a chat with me. I appreciate it. Well, thank you. Have a good day.